Well, as OJ mentioned, we're in this series called Undone, and we're looking at the what is traditionally called the seven deadly sins and uh, the corresponding virtues that, that are antidotes to those sins, and we've, we've been working our way through them. And if you're like me, uh, as I've heard the speakers uh, going through this, this series, uh, other, other speakers speak, I'm going, okay, now what, what are those seven deadly? I, I, wanted, I wanted to remind myself what they are. So here's a little reminder. Uh, well, let's see. How, how are you doing? Just name some of the seven deadly sins that we've talked about already. You can just say it out from the Sloth, thank you. Greed. Pride. Lust. Wrath. Right? Good. What's that? Gluttony, yes. One more. Envy. Envy. You got it. Good. Yeah, there they are. So you're a very, the nine o'clock was awful in this, just so you know. <laughs> well done. Sloth, lust, gluttony, wrath, envy, greed, and pride. And today, you, you lucky people, you get the pride sermon. And uh, I don't know why I got the pride sermon. I'm not sure. But uh, I always love coming to Lake Mary, my wife asked me this morning, oh, how do you feel about going to Lake Mary? I said, I, I really like it. They love me at Lake Mary, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah. Th- th- yeah, thank you very much. So I'm already suffering from that sin, so you can pray for me as I preach it, right? So of all the seven deadly sins, and I, you know, I, I confess some of them, I'm going, well, I'm not that bad in that area, right? But this one, this one nails me every time. It's the sin of pride. I think we all battle with it. OJ certainly does. He already confessed to it. You can pray for him. <laughs> so if you were to be asked this question, if, if, if what was the first sin ever committed? I think my natural response, my instinctive response would be the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, eating the forbidden, of the forbidden fruit. But that really is not the first sin uh, that the Bible tells us of. The first sin happened... Uh, who knows, probably before time began in, in, in the heavenlies when one of God's beautiful, most beautiful uh, creatures, Lucifer, an angel of light, a marvelous creature, came to the point uh, in, in his existence where he made this statement, according to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 14. Lucifer made this, this challenging and uh, uh, absolutely life-changing and world-changing statement. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will be like God. The first sin, pure and simple, when you distill it down, is a sin of pride. The sin of pride has its deadly roots in the poisonous soil of comparison. It's great quotes in pride. I found some. Joseph Addison made this statement, there's no passion that steals into the heart more imperceptibly and covers itself with more disguises than pride. Daniel Defoe, author of Robinson Crusoe, a great novel uh, and uh, a Christian novel, by the way, great spiritual themes in that novel, said, pride is the first peer and president of hell. C.S. Lewis, more to the point, says, pride is the national religion of hell. thought that was interesting. And G.K. Chesterton said, if I only had one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. Bible has several things to say about pride. Just a few in the Proverbs that, that uh, I just skimmed through. Proverbs 6.17, of the seven things that God hates, the first one listed is prideful eyes, haughty eyes. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, 
then comes disgrace. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, pride brings a person low. So pride says, basically, I don't need you. I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. Adam Collier says the pride of life is, is, is a self-confident comparison, a self-pleasure in one's own life. It's a focus on me. So I have a text that's listed in your in bulletin if you want to pull those out or if you have a Bible, you can um, uh, open up to 2 Kings chapter 5. And um, it's a great uh, story of a, a man here. And uh, I think it fits into the theme of where we're going this week and also next week. Uh, and I want to start reading in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending you my servant Naaman so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse seven, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, oh my God, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. This is the word of God. Naaman, interesting man. Uh, he was probably and, and uh almost certainly one of the most powerful men in the world. He was only second uh, in line in terms of this kingdom, the kingdom of Aram, which eventually became the kingdom of Assyria, a very powerful, powerful kingdom at that time. Uh, Israel was, was uh, always in combat, and, and Aram was always defeating Israel in battles. We see that in 1 Kings, they, they, they tell of, of, of these battles. Naaman was the man. Naaman was the man who led these troops. He, he, he was victorious. And he was, as verse one says, uh, a, man, uh, a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, highly regarded. Highly regarded because he uh, was uh, victorious. In fact, 1 Kings 22 says that he led the armies of Aram against Ahab, one of the most wicked kings, probably the most wicked king ever in the history of Israel. And, uh, and uh, Ahab was killed in that, that battle and uh, ended his life there. So it sees that the Lord actually is with 
this man in meeting out justice against Israel. If anyone had a right to pride, Naaman would be at the top of the list. He had it all. So this example and this topic, it was interesting to go into. And um, I, I, I joked a little bit about, you know, who they assign these sermons to. But I will tell you, this was a sermon that is, is really for me. I, I put this together because this, uh, obviously to preach it, but also I, wa- I want to live it out and I want to be taught by it. And it just, it, there were some things that, that um, I see in Naaman that are pointed out very poignantly in my own life. And these are some of the things that I, I've seen. First of all, I can tend to have pride in my self-sufficiency. The pride of self-sufficiency. It's the statement, I can do it myself, don't need you. Naaman was a man who could take care of himself. He was powerful. He was in charge of his life. He really didn't, for all practical purposes, need anyone else. He was a man who was self-sufficient. My late years of high school and early into college, um, the best group, best, the best group ever uh, singing was Simon and Garfunkel, ever. That's just a fact. You can take all the, all the groups since then. They're okay. My wife and I tussle about the Beatles versus Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel is really good. And they had a song, I think it was my freshman year of college that came out, and it was beautiful. The song was entitled, I Am a Rock. And uh, I've, I've written down the words because, and I just, I just smile as I read these words because I would sing this in my car, or in my room. Uh, you'd have to picture me. I had my hair parted down, I had hair parted down, <laughs> down the middle, long, curly. Oh, it was, oh, I, I want to weep when I think of it. And I would, I would sing, sing this song. This, this, is, this is Simon and Garfunkel's song. Paul Simon wrote the, wrote the song. A winter's day in a deep and dark December. I'm alone. Gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I'm a rock. I'm an island. Don't talk of love, but I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor. Hiding in my room, safe within my womb, I touch no one and no one touches me. I'm a rock and I'm an island. And for all your boomers out there, how does that song end? Anyone can sing with me? Huh? All, all those boomers? Okay, boomers, come on, let's go. Uh, yeah, that's the chorus, but there's two final lines. That's good. That's a good try. A rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. Isn't that, isn't that an amazing song? I used to sing that and embrace it, and it just wasn't true. You can't live life like that. You can try, but there is no self-sufficiency. 
It doesn't work. Naaman, that that phrase at the end of verse 1 of chapter 5, but he had leprosy. Everything a man could want in terms of position, power, wealth, but he had leprosy. And with all his self-sufficiency, Naaman couldn't heal himself. Jesus, before his ministry, Matthew tells us that uh, after he was baptized, he he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, a 40-day fast. At the end of that fast, we're told that Satan appeared to him. Three temptations. The first one was, of course, this is at the end of a 40-day fast. He probably has has hunger pangs. uh, He's close to starvation. You know what the first temptation was? Hey, if you're the son of God, like they say you are, see those stones? You can turn those into bread. Feed yourself. Let's go. The first temptation was the temptation of the pride of self-sufficiency. Let's see if you can do it yourself. And Jesus' response was, man will not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's the pride of self-sufficiency. Second, there's the pride of substance. The pride that says, I have more resources than you do. Naaman was a man of substance, a wealthy man. The description, he, he, he heads off to Israel. He just doesn't head off on his own. There's an entourage, there's chariots, there's horses, there's servants. This is, this is a big deal. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. I love that they brought clothes too. You know, that's pretty cool, huh? Scholars say that the, the, uh, the, the weight of, of that silver and gold today, that alone would be right around $1,200,000 that he brings to Israel because he's going to reward anyone who can heal him of this leprosy. Years ago, I, I counseled a young couple. Uh, they came in to see me. They had some issues going on and, and I really enjoyed getting to know them. And uh, as I got to know them, they're probably just barely into their 30s and talking about their lives and some challenges they had. But uh, the, the husband was uh, a very, very gifted guy. He was an entrepreneur. And uh, in his early 30s, he had, he had really been very, very successful in business. He wasn't bragging about it. I, he wasn't prideful at all. It was just interesting as I'm you know, listening to this, this uh, account of, of where they've been and the things that they've done. And I have to, I have to tell you, I'm... I had to ask myself, where was I when those gifts were given out? Those entrepreneurial gifts. Man, that was so impressive. And, they, you know, they handled it well. And, I, you know, they, they resolved the things they were dealing with. And it was five years later I saw them again. They came in. And um, I said, how's it going? He said, well, he said, everything I had five years ago, I don't have anymore. Big business downturn difficulties with partners in this business. I mean, it just went on and on. And uh, he said, We've, we found out that we can still live without what we had before. Satan also tempted Jesus in this way. He takes him to place, he, he takes him to place, and he says, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the world, all of them. 
He says, I'm going to give you charge over all of them. You just have to do one thing. And that one thing is you have to bow down and worship me. The, the temptation here was the pride of substance. Jesus could have had it all. And Jesus says, no, you, you, you only worship the Lord your God. That's the only one you worship. Naaman was a man of substance. But I have more resources than you didn't work here. Naaman's wealth didn't help him out one bit because he had leprosy. Pride of self-sufficiency, pride of substance. Third thing that I see here, it's the pride of superiority. It's the statement, I am better than you, better than you. Start again in verse 8 of, of uh, 2 Corinthians 5. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Can you imagine this? Okay, the king of Israel can't do it, so pick all this stuff up. Get back on the chariots. We're going to go to Elisha's house. This huge entourage comes to this house, knocks on the door. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Huh. Verse 11, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me my leprosy. Isn't it interesting how, how, how we all have an idea of how we want God to work in our lives? Naaman was no exception. He had it all planned out. This is the way it's going to be. Didn't work out that way. And he goes on, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. So I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call. He didn't even come out and, and, and doesn't he know who I am? You just hear that, that statement between the lines. Elisha didn't even greet him personally. He just said, just go do this. I don't know what there is about superiority, the whole I am better than you thing. I play tennis one, sometimes twice, once or twice a week, and I played with the same group of, basically the same group of, of men um, for the past 12, 13 years. And I would love to say to you that uh, I play tennis because I just enjoy the camaraderie, and you know, it's nice to, nice to be in, in outdoors and, 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 and to enjoy the competition, but you know, that's all. I, that's not why I play tennis. I, I play tennis to win every time. I want to beat you. I, there are no such things as, oh, that was a good point. It's only a good point if I won the point, right? What is that in me? What is that in you? Got to have the best team. Got to have the best job, the best house, best car. The third temptation of Jesus, Jesus taken by Satan up to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, hey, tell you what, here's what I want you to do. Throw yourself off this pinnacle. 
And uh, let's see if the Bible's really true, because the Bible says that angels will, will come down and grab you and make sure that your foot won't be struck. Uh, on, not even your foot will touch the surface. And you know what? The temptations, there was the pride of superiority. Show me, Satan says, that you're really special. And Jesus responds with the, with the scripture, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm better than you, didn't work. Naaman's importance meant nothing. He still had leprosy. So, the conclusion that I'm reminded of this account uh, through scripture is, these are, these are my applications, and if you can join in with me, that'll, that'll be great. But this is, the, this is the application I made for me. First of all, the self-sufficiency thing, this, you, you can do it yourself? No, you cannot. I cannot do it myself. And all control in my life is an illusion. It's an illusion. I can't do it myself. I'm not self-sufficient. And a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, he's uh, known him for a few years now, and, and uh, we've come, become close and he shared with me his story. He's been in ministry uh, a lot of his adult life and, and uh, just done a great job of, of uh, living his life, honoring God. And told me about his family, his children, now all adult children. And he has a son who has not done well. And uh, in fact, the son can't hold on a job. He's prone to addictions. He struggles. It is, it's just, it, it's, an ongoing issue in, in his life. And it, it does weigh him down. And we've talked a lot about it. And one day when we were visiting, he looked at me and he said, okay, I, can you be honest with me? I, I said, I think so. He said, I want you to tell me where I went wrong as a parent. What did I do wrong? You know me well enough. And I, and I thought to myself, well, not sure. And then I said this. I think, it, I think you sinned, which got his attention because he's such a delightful guy and really a, a pretty godly guy. And it just, it sort of jarred him. He says, what's my sin? I said, it's the sin of pride. I said, the pride of thinking that you could figure it out and then once you did, you could fix it. Now, any parent needs to understand that loving their children is important. And I'm not saying that he, you shouldn't try to be a good parent. Of course we should. Of course we need to show God's love to our children. But I'm not in control of what happens. God's in control. And I can't live my life based on, well, if I follow a certain formula or do it a certain way, then it's going to turn out okay. No. There is no guarantee to that. He smiled. He nodded. And he's still my friend. So I think that was a good thing. Another thing I see is, is this, this pride of, of substance, the pride of what I have, the things that I've accumulated. The lesson to me is that my resources will ultimately be taken away from me. They won't, they won't help me then. Uh, I, I, I will die one day. My wife, that we have all our serious conversations, it seems, now early in the morning. Don't ask me why. 5.30 in the morning, a few days ago, she comes out, she sits across from me. She goes, I have a question for you. She said, um, 
uh, who do you think will miss you most when you're gone? It says 5.30 in the morning. I'm, I'm just trying to wake up. I'm just going, oh, oh, what a question. I think I'm thinking, I look at her, I said, what, will you? Will you? She said, yeah, yeah, me, me. Yeah, I will, it's a given. But who, yeah, we have this ongoing conversation. But it's a reminder of my mortality. I thought getting older would take longer, to be honest with you. All you older people are getting that, aren't you? It's going to be taken away. My substance doesn't mean anything. Steve Jobs, who, who died at a relatively young age, founder of Apple Computer, massively wealthy individual, massively successful, gifted, made this statement in the last months of his life. He said, remembering I'll be dead soon, is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in face of death, leaving only what is truly important. And then the last one, the, the, the pride of, of superiority. I'm reminded, I'm not superior to anyone. The comparison game always fails, ultimately. One morning, I was going through my email, and you know, you get advertisements in your email. I was just going through, you know, garbage, garbage, garbage. This one sort of caught my eye because there was this picture of this beautiful uh, glass trophy, uh, just, just very, very good looking, and it had the name of my business on it. Karis Counseling Center, there it was. And they told me in this email, and they included a press release, that uh, my counseling center was named Best of Orlando in 2019. I'm going, whoa. I said, no, is this, this, I mean, who are these people? I mean, it's a Orlando Awards program. They they told me how they went through it. I didn't apply for it. And here I am, and I'm going, I've been in this 20 years, and how the best in 2019, and, and, um, all I had to do was just to, you know, just thank them for their award. But if I wanted the, the trophy, I had to pay for it. And I did. <laughs> and you might say it's a scam. And please don't tell me because I don't want to know. Because it's sitting on the desk of my office. Best of 2019. Here's what I thought. This is, this, well, this is a dead giveaway of my pride. You know what I thought? I, thought, I wonder if I'll get it next year. <laughs> I want to be the best. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. So how do we combat pride? You'll have to come back next week. Uh, but I'll give you a hint, okay? This is my hint. We combat pride... Uh, by entering into humility. And you and I will enter humility either willingly or unwillingly. Either willingly or unwillingly. The Apostle Paul sums this up beautifully in Philippians chapter 2 as he talks about our Lord 
and the whole reason that he came. He says in Philippians 2, 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he, here's the word, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, uh, take my pride and let it be sacrificed on the altar of your love and sacrifice for me. I pray that uh, I would have the attitude of myself that Jesus had in his life when he came to this earth. Help me in terms of my attitude toward being self-sufficient. Help me remember that uh, I, I do not have the ability to be self-sufficient. Give me the ability to not rely on the substance, the things that I have, the things that I've accumulated. Help me to remember that those are not really mine. They're yours. And help me to remember that I am not better than anyone and that superiority is, is not the goal. But following after you is. I pray for every man, every woman here that they would be able to embrace the truth of Scripture as we come to a place where we realize that we have to humble ourselves before you and allow you to exalt us in your time and in your way. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your son in whose name we pray. Amen.